0: Final section on Databricks and the data warehouses today, the DBT team has a really good newsletter and podcast called the Analytics Engineering Podcast run by the founders of DBT. And every year they have the largest event in data engineering, I think, uh, Coalesce, where they interview some pretty amazing people. So this is Drew Bannon interviewing Reynoldson, who is a co-founder of Databricks and also a the initial committer of Apache Spark.
1: Reynolds. thank you so much for being here with us today. Really appreciate you uh, you joining.
0: And uh, really happy to be uh, here.
1: Just because Spark has been so influential and you've played such a big role in it. Can you tell us a little bit about you know your background working on Spark and sort of how that started and what shape it's taken over the years?
0: Yeah, Um. so this is actually a fairly interesting story that a lot of people don't know about um, Spark itself. Uh, most people knew it started at UC Berkeley as a research project and over the years have taken to uh, over the world but initially it was at a very very humble beginning it had to do with the a uh, million dollars um which is the netflix prize. so back in uh, 2010 2009 2010 um netflix had this uh, netflix prize competition and the idea is for it's incredibly important for netflix to understand what movies uh people would like watching um so they can procure those movies they naturally um, produce those movies like uh, Stranger Things, I think Amy mentioned uh, on the Slack channel. Um, so they did this um, open competition by sort of all the movie rating data sets, and then ask um, anybody in the world can participate. You can get a handle on the data set and come up with a better machine learning model than their baseline, and whoever they would come up with the best model movement. Um, so uh, one, Lester was one of the students at the UC Berkeley Amp Lab, and he was a very competitive person, and plus, as a PhD student um, back in uh, Berkeley, he was making $2,000 a month. And the competition as award amount was actually a million dollars. So Lester really wanted to compete. But he ran into a big problem, which is it was a pretty sizable data set. He didn't have the tools to transform them and he didn't have the tools to express the machine learning algorithms on them. Like, he wouldn't work on MATLAB or sort of like a single-node Python program. So he talked to Matei, um, who at the time was a, so systems, you and they say, hey, why don't you help me build some, too, and I can, I can win the uh, prize. We can split some money together. Um, that's actually how Spark was born. The first version of it was dedicated specifically to this uh, task of, hey, given a bunch of data um, that's pretty sizable, how do we process it, get it into shape that's ready for building machine learning models, and then how do we build machine learning models quickly out of it? It was only 600 lines of code. Very, very simple. Um, the, and then, uh, obviously, it started as more and more people realized, hey, it seemed like the ability to handle a larger amount of data quickly and being able to iterate quickly is pretty important. It's not just something that maybe a PSD trying to uh, work on an ethics prize would want. Um, and then, the, uh, so everything just happened from there. I joined the project sort of, uh, about a year later, This um, when I got to Berkeley. I first actually didn't work on this side of the house, um, and then over the years, I was more like a specialized in databases, data warehousing. And I brought a lot of the, I would say, sort of classic database ideas and implementations into the Spark ecosystem. So kind of marry the, um, they started with a very strong roots on like, how do we do massive parallelization um, to handle machine learning data? And then over the years I brought a lot of, so how do we just process data in general, leveraging sort of three or four decades of uh, database knowledge, um, the, yeah. the industry and yeah academia oh,
1: that's an incredible story um what was the state of the art back in like 2009 2010 if if say parallel universe spark wasn't invested uh, invented um how would folks do it back then
0: yeah so i i think it's, it was incredibly difficult uh there are kind of two camps there's the data warehouse camp which um you could dump all the data in and it kind of runs dashboarding like even back in 2009 2010 you could probably run dashboards um, pretty well, um, and for business data. And then there's a the Hadoop camp, which is the, the, the big data camp. Um, and the big data camp has one incredible improvement over the data warehouse camp, which is you could dump anything you want into it, and it's super cheap and relatively. Uh, but it was almost impossible to do anything. Like if you want to write a MapReduce program to just run a very simple query, you have to write like tens of thousands of lines of code. Yeah, right? it's just impossible to do anything. Um, and that's where so I think the world got stuck. Yeah.
1: Was was that like pig back then? Is that was that the state of the art? Did that come later? Kind of like
0: pig, hive was like just getting out the door. Right. Um and I mean very few people use hive anymore and nobody's using pig anymore. Um there's a lot of tools that were invented so trying to attack a low hanging fruits and over the years uh most of them become irrelevant now. But um yeah, um it's definitely uh, it's a very different time from now.
1: Okay. So I mean Spark has is- uh, surely, evolved yeah. an incredible amount since since uh, that original Netflix challenge. But this yeah, concept, oh is, uh, Joe, and uh, some please audience please.
0: might be curious: what the hell happened to the uh, Netflix challenge? Um,
1: oh yeah, of course, did no, no, win. No,
0: no. Um, he actually he he got the the model roughly ten percent point better than the baseline model, which is a massive deal for machine learning algorithm. Uh, and he tied for uh, number one with somebody else, but then his entry was somebody twenty minutes late. Um so the uh he lost a million dollars so spark if spark were invented twenty minutes earlier, um Lester would have been a million dollar richer.
1: that's uh that's pretty incredible. It just speaks to the importance of uh, uh performance and interactive query response time, you know getting those results back uh the timely manner absolutely um yeah great so um the the fundamental thing there you you touched on was like the idea of um uh, unstructured or semi-structured data kind of like living in in this in this data lake and and uh being accessible for for analytics um so you know i'll I'll just say when we started building dbt it was on more traditional data warehouses and it was probably late maybe 2018 or 2019 when we first started investigating integrating dbt with with spark and back then i think it was just vanilla spark we started with um today is kind of a momentous day because you you and the folks at databricks have something to announce is that right
0: absolutely um so we uh i think we the the announcement actually went out very early this morning um there's the new uh, dbt databricks uh, adapter um that we have actually worked together on uh, dbt labs and databricks um and it's a big deal in our mind um because it's uh, sort of um, it signals a very strong intention to collaborate here, and then actually create one of the best, uh, I think, ways to run DBT um, on Databricks. The um, um, and it's not just an adapter; like it's not just hey, we built another connector and so what. Um, we have actually uh, it sort of also signals the beginning of uh, us looking at hey, what are the type of queries DBT generating? How can the platform actually run those queries better once we have gotten those queries onto Databricks? Um we're talking just um off stage right now the uh, like our our team uh, that works on the core engine actually look at the type of queries that were generated and optimized for that specific pattern and the incremental data load of queries would get, run actually eight times faster in the next release of the databricks platform which customers don't have to do anything to um they'll just get automatically updated um yeah.
1: that that kind of integration is really really exciting um certainly to us and, and the folks that that use dbt on databricks um you mentioned the incremental uh, kind of approach. Is that is it the merge statement in particular that gets the speed up or something else?
0: Um I have to look into the details of it, but I think it's actually the uh I'm actually pulling up the query here right now. I think there's a very, very long query that gets generated. It's about use decimal and it's like uh, three page long with like an MD5 expression in it. I, it. I personally don't like understand the queries that's generated a lot, right? Uh, but the uh it's it's actually the specific combination of expressions for that um that would uh i think that actually could be optimized a lot better
1: sure okay well that's a really powerful thing for folks to so it's not it's not way. i don't think it's for
0: merge it's for the uh just incremental getting data with maybe a marker of hey this is the latest data that's been coming in and more data can come in, in the future
1: got it okay um so it's really cool to hear things like that because back in 2019 um i remember very well trying to integrate dbt with spark and there's a lot there's a lot missing like we were trying to build the incremental paradigm and we were working with vanilla spark back then and it it just was not a great experience to spin up clusters and um sort of like missing the data catalog that dbt needed to generate its queries but a lot of that's changed in the past couple of years and specifically around the works that the work that you're doing in databricks um can you give us like a little bit of a survey of of how the thing has changed inside of Databricks from maybe who who you were building for two or three years ago versus like what kinds of use cases you're thinking about today? Yeah,
0: absolutely. Um, I will. Um, so it, it actually in many ways mirrors the Spark journey, which is, uh, and by the way, I think what you said earlier is DBT actually grew out of necessity, very similar to Spark, right? There was a concrete problem that there uh, didn't have good solutions to. And uh, so Matei and they invented the Spark together through that. And I think in your case, um, you had a concrete problem, probably was, hey, I'm a, I'm a with, the, with the new term, I'm an analyst engineer, um, and none of this modern data stack existed. Um, I want to bring maybe rigor to my uh, sort of data pipelines or data engineering jobs. I want to make sure things are correct. I want to make sure I can test them. I want to make sure I can sort of uh, roll things out in a way that's safe. Um, and those are kind of the software engineering principles um, I, I would say software engineers deal with it all the time, but once you get to data, it becomes very ad hoc. It's not clear what the standard way is, and you guys kind of created a way to do this, and it's actually in with concepts that are uh, very much familiar with a lot of the uh, data analysts that just are using SQL. I think that's a big deal. So maybe before before I go into the database, sure. sorry Well, uh, you I'm know, pretty we're, excited about DBT stuff. So
1: right. Well, one thing on that on the topic of necessity and DBT. Um, we started the company uh, five and a half years ago almost um, as a consultancy. And the really funny thing was we worked on sort of like sprints. So there was no time based contracts. It was all based on like work delivered. And so the, the sort of equivalent to the Netflix challenge for a million dollars was like a $3,000 statement of work to deliver marketing attribution in two weeks uh, for us. So like different different kinds of stakes that play there. Um, but. It was the same necessity of we wanted to do this work. We wanted to uh, know that it was reliable. We wanted to understand what had changed at what point in time because we were working with different clients uh, and kind of different kinds of engagements. And so very much like the thing we built in DBT came out of that environment of wanting to make analytics more repeatable and sort of uh, like scrutable in a way.
0: The, so by the way, I, feel, I see a lot of great products and projects evolve this way, which is some um, so the creators of the project had some concrete problems they had to solve. And then it turned out the concrete problem is shared by everybody in the world and become. And in that regard, the so Spark, Databricks, DBP um, share very common roots. Uh, all right, so now um, coming to the, uh, so what how, how are the workloads are evolving on top of Databricks and Spark? Um, so initially, a lot of I think there's a lot of uh, the the workloads on DataBricks and uh, Apache Spark project primarily target I would say two uh, so sort of functional dimensions. One is the users of the product uh, or projects tend to be fairly technical in the sense that they're writing Scala code, they're writing Python code, and they might be writing R code, um, and uh, a lot less of them were actually using like vanilla SQL. Um, the other dimension is there's a lot of focus because of the root of the project which talked about was invented to uh, build machine learning models um, there's a lot of focus on data science and um, uh, machine learning so a lot of the work workflow initially were focusing on those and uh, by the way but as part of data science and machine learning obviously you have you, like the, the whole job of data science and machine learning is not only about building models a lot of it is about cleaning data getting data into the right shape with the right form um, so if you look under the hood, they're very similar to the type of data transformations you'll be doing in data warehouses. But the way you express them is very different. Um, the, the, so the actual job is very different. Um, and then over so the course of, I would say, the past two or three years, we'll notice we always have some SQL support because as I said, hey, it's, it's actually the core operations under the hood are very similar. Like A join is a join. It doesn't matter if you're using Python, using like SQL you're joining data. So we always supported SQL. um, But we kind of we didn't invest massively in it. But then over the course of the last two or three years, uh, we noticed, hey, our SQL usage is uh, growing organically very, very fast, as a matter of fact, faster than pretty much any of the other uh, programming languages. And then we started interviewing customers and trying to understand why and what's going on. And many of them told us a consistent message, which is, hey, I'm already using, uh, building my data engineering pipelines and doing a lot of data science on this. And a lot of data are produced by Databricks. And typically, we ETL a subset of it that we consider more business aggregates um, into a data warehouse. But then inevitably, some analysts come back and say, hey, I want access to that raw dimension of data, or I need that attribute that there hasn't been ETL yet. So we're faced with a very um, sort of a dilemma. Do we, um, like disrupt our sort of backlog, which could be six months or a year long to uh, create a new pipeline to ETL that. Um, or do we just give customers, uh, like our customers, which is uh, our customers' customers, now access directly to Databricks and run through SQL. Even though we know SQL on Databricks, like didn't work that well. Um, so many actually ended up slowly giving more access. Uh, and that's how it organically happened. Um, and then we started looking at the problem a lot more, and we felt, hey, um, if there's already a clear desire here from our customers, despite us not pushing for it, uh, maybe we should actually look into investing heavily. Um, so for the past two or three years, we've spent massive amount of we reoriented almost the entire company to look at, hey, how can we actually deliver really good SQL experience on this massive amount of data in the data lakes that are already produced by Databricks. Um, and I would say we kind of left no stone untouched. So going from all the way at the bottom of stack, like how do we um, launch compute uh, in less than a second? To hey, how do we rewrite our actually execution engine to be able to process data much faster for specific the SQL type of workloads? Um, and uh, all the way to the UI, it's like how do we create a SQL editor that um, cop- like when analysts comes in, they feel like oh. This is like a very similar tool from everything else I've used before. Yeah, got it. Um, so, yeah, I'm happy to get into more details in any of that, but uh, I don't know if we have uh, time. It's up to you,
1: So just highlighting a few
0: things. Uh, one, I did not know that the Apache Spark story was actually tied to the Netflix prize, <laughs> which is one of the most random origin stories I've ever heard. And two, the victory of SQL, again, even for a very technical product like D- Databricks that was never designed for it, uh, seems to win out time and time again.